0: to Sky, I hope you're having a somewhat positive beginning to the start of a kind of awkward holiday season in sense of the final episode of this year, the final episode of the 2020 season. There's not really much that I could go through to kind of connect with uh, the final turns of the new year. Besides with bringing in a new era for the holiday season, for both anime and for the new year. And there's not necessarily a bid that I can go through that could give any sort of positive or overwhelming, uplifting cheer to this bid. I can only hope that everybody has some sort of positive experience that can at least give them some sort of hope leading ourselves into a new part of the new decade, because at least in this part, unfortunately, the only bid that I can go is corporate to start off the new new part of the generation into the late end of 2020, which is that all the rumors were true, everything that we've been building up towards the end of the year is that Funimation, the global group, is finally able to acquire Crunchyroll for 1.175 billion US, and so leading into the end of the new year there have been a couple of people that have been bringing a handful of positive uh pieces into the new merger thinking that at least at this point in time that a lot of the bidding for a handful of series that are going to be bringing into the winter 2021 season and the majority of the seasons that are going to be moving on part of this is also going to be a huge uh, bidding into the new merger and a handful of people that are going to be concerned about censorship in terms of subtitles and translation, that are going to have a handful of worries that are going to be moving into the merger that will at least jumpstart the majority of the transitions between both Funimation and Crunchyroll... To be fair that's going to be the one that i'm going to be most concerned about in terms of the manpower and the majority of assets that are going to be having to be merged and combined into this new entity that's going to be moving forward into 2021 that's going to be the biggest bid but considering that That's going to be rolling out over the next couple of months. That's when we're going to be having to be most concerned. And so the movement of personnel and assets that are going to be moving forward over the course of the next 6 to 12 months is definitely going to be um, a project for concern which is going to be on a lot of people's minds, especially those that are going to be moving up and down towards a lot of assets and jobs over the course of the next uh, period of time. But unfortunately, a lot of what's going to be focused on is how both of the companies merge in terms of um, a lot of the assets for the website and the assets of how the majority of the licenses are going to be shifted around Um, and seeing if they were going to be able to merge like they were in a slight agreement back in 2016 as the best towards the consumer. So that's obviously going to be something to look forward to or look against. Um, Besides that, I mean, I've been talking a lot towards the next uh, Ghibli film, to be fair, 3D CG, uh, Earwig and the Witch. They were able to finally uh, post the majority of their screenings and what exactly their plan is moving forward towards 2021, but they're going to be planning towards an Oscar qualifying run, and to be fair, it's, yeah, no, it's not like you can have a run every single year in the majority of the North American, you know, consensus about what exactly animation is able to do out east, but... It's not necessarily one that I'm going to be looking forward to the most, and it's not really something that's going to get me hyped just on the brand name, but to be fair, it's something that I'm going to watch regardless, so we're just going to have to wait and see how Ghibli's first 3G CG animated film is going to uh, have a bit of a splash inside both the Japanese and the North American markets over the course of its release. In small news... Mob Psycho 2 has a little bit of an inspired team menu in one of the districts in Japan. <laughs> it's There's not really much for me to go through, at least at this point. I love Mob Psycho to death. There's not really much negative that I can say about the series. But depending on how it goes for its third season... I mean, there's not really much that you can say. I mean, sure, it's got a little bit of advertisement... A demographic that's being pushed towards a handful of the districts inside Japan. There's not really much that you can say that that's going to push towards a third season, but it's at least it's there. At least it is pushing itself towards a a demographic that's beyond (laughs) that's that's being pushed towards beyond the T demographic. Yeah, because it's not really uh, going towards a lot of it, but. Uh, it's going towards advertisements and promotion to try and feel about, to see if it's actually able to get more of a crowd to actually support if it decides to go for a third season, which to be fair, in the North American and the Canadian, (laughs) not really much of the, uh, Canadian, but in in terms of the North American, uh, push, we know that Mob Psycho 100 has completed its manga run, we know that it is a complete story, and if it is able to combine the last of its narrative inside of a fully complete 12 to 18 episode narrative, then I would imagine more of us would be gladly enough to take this conclusion of the story to its uh, vast extremes, whichever is decided to go. Oh yeah, Cyberpunk 2077 uh, ended up coming out in this bit. Um, I'm not really much of a uh, console bid or a console gamer at this point, and I haven't necessarily been much to jump onto the PC gaming for like Doom Eternal or for Cyberpunk 2077 in this case, but um, even though I have the rig, it's in the backlog. It's definitely interesting to see how Cyberpunk is able to Um, maneuver itself through the majority of the demographics and the consoles inside of this scene and to see if just the majority of the uh, positive influence that it's able to take from the pc crowd how that translates towards the relatively um, divisive demographics that they've been able to show between not only the playstation but the xbox crowds and to see if even though all of the delays and through all of the specs that they've been able to fine-tune go through how that translates to console um in comparison to pc so i'm honestly curious to see how that goes about and to see what that um what that uh, goes through the majority of the demographics that moves through over the past couple of weeks the second Fate Grand Order film has been uh, successfully streaming over the course of this bid. I have no relation to Fate Grand Order. The only bids of Fate that I have in terms of translation to what they're putting out now is Fate's Day Night, Unlimited Blade Works, Fate Zero. And the only thing that I am waiting for at this point in time is the third um, Heaven's Feel film. ...that has yet to come out in North American theaters. That is what I am waiting for. It is Fate Zero... ...and the three main roots of Fate. That is all I am taking a part of. There is no Apocrypha. There is no Grand Order. There is nothing beyond those three... ...that I am legitimately interested in... ...in terms of the animated spectrum. And so I'm honestly curious to see... ...how that translates... ...into its third film... ...considering that over the past couple of weeks... ...I know I've talked about it. I know that everybody... Across North America is waiting for this third film to go through, and I'm legitimately curious to see how that um, translates to success with a limited, uh, with a limited release. Now, I had a feeling that I was going to plan to talk about Attack on Titan and its new season, but I had a little bit of an inkling tug to push it towards a different topic to kind of go with the flow and kind of see what the majority of the internet was pushing towards at this point in time now, Attack on Titan Season 3 well, not Season 3 Season 4 has been going along at a very steady pace and next week I feel like that is a better point in time to talk about it Which is what I will get to, but now I'm going to talk about which will kind of graze away and push it to a different narrative that only has a handful of a nerd backing towards it, which would be The Mandalorian Season 2. And in this case would be the terms of Episode 8 of Season 2, Chapter 16, The Rescue. ...and it was something that should be talked about... ...and should be taken to a degree of magnitude inside the fandom... ...to something that hasn't been done since 2016 or so. Because if I'm going to push towards anything now... It would be a gap in Star Wars between 2016 and 2020, and how the fandom has morphed and evolved over the past four years in the wake of episodes 7, 8, 9, and the first season of The Mandalorian, because it's been a very awkward transition in this bid, because in terms of The Force Awakens, I was surprisingly optimistic. Because at the time, what this series represented after a good seven to eight years of dormancy inside the cinematic spectrum... ...and what they were able to accomplish inside of this one film, I understand that it was very similar. Very, very similar to episode four A New Hope. But it was incredibly entertaining to the degree of having a new a new generation, a new cast of characters, a new set of heroes that were able to push the next generation forward into a new galaxy. Well, not necessarily a new galaxy, but a new momentum and to a new uh piece in Star Wars history to legitimately grant a new generation of young fans into this franchise. And there was a lot to be happy about, regardless of how much it took from episode four, it did a lot right, and a lot that was able to reinvigorate the franchise and the energy and the momentum into a good bit of hype into this new trilogy. Unfortunately... Episode 8 was very divisive. At the time, when I went to watch it in theaters in 2017, when I went to go see it in theaters, I was so underwhelmed and just so... I don't know. It, I guess the my expectations, of course, leading up to the end of Episode 7 with Ray meeting Luke, there was just so much that could have happened... And so much that just got dropped at her feet, to and thrown to the wolves. That it was just, you know what? I don't care about this that much. Figure it out for yourself. And so, as Ray's training, and as we are alone to try and figure out the pieces for ourselves, and as Ray leaves, just as Luke does in Episode Five, we're just kind of like trying to put the pieces together. But when. With episode five being a tour de force, and throwing the resistance into disarray, and actually legitimately bringing a twist that shocked viewers to disbelief, were just kind of set there. It there was a handful of scenes because I can't fault Last Jedi for being a wholly terrible movie all the way through because the latter half of Luke's training and the latter half of Rey trying to go and turn Kylo to the light was legitimately interesting and legitimately uh, unconcerting in, inside of a tense-filled moment. And what they were able to accomplish inside the throne room is nothing short of really compelling filmmaking. Um, but just everything afterwards was a little bit of a mixed bag I, I thought that Luke's death was compelling and it was one of the best ways to end his character if he was to die alone on that island, the fact that he was able to look upon the dual sunset going below the horizon just as it did on Tatooine that was a beautiful send off to his uh, physical character regardless of what he did before or what he did after that was a beautiful send off and leading off to the stand inside of the throne room in episode 8 the lightspeed ram is honestly going to go down in star wars history as one of the most compelling and tension filled moments of star wars for sure it's just that episode 9 was such a piece of shit dude oh my god It was absolutely horrible. This is an anime podcast, so I'm probably going to, like, leave that on for another episode, but just, oh my lord, it was absolutely horrible. So much to the point that, in the beginning of 2019, that everybody was so just degraded and sick and tired of what the fandom and the story had become, that nobody was interested in getting back in the series. Nobody. 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 There was so much degrading hope and positivity for this product and this franchise that there was nothing anybody could stick to that could bring them back. And I will admit, at the end of 2019, I had not watched The Mandalorian episode by episode. I watched The Mandalorian two or three episodes into season two. Even though I know, and I knew, that people had been slowly but surely coming back to this western, sort of bounty hunter-esque style of, uh, tom- not necessarily tomfoolery, but action and dynamicism and battles that had been taking place on such a much smaller scale on these uh, set of planets... Especially with the first episode of The Mandalorian, which I had to go back and watch. And it was such a different feel. Such a different atmosphere of filmmaking and writing and direction that this series hadn't gone through in years. And so I went through the first season of The Mandalorian. Loved it. Caught up to episode... Uh, episode 6 of the Mandalorian season 2 and like fell in love with the series all over again I mean Jon Favreau and Dave Filoni have done such a magnificent job like you cannot imagine revitalizing a franchise that had been revered and divisive from six months prior to its release To actually giving a semblance of hope, a semblance of optimism towards an entire franchise that has been on the teetering edge of positive and optimistic to negative and neglectic for a good decade. It is ridiculous how well that they've been able to translate that kind of optimism and atmosphere over the course of, like, less than two seasons. It is absolutely ridiculous. And so not spoiling the final two episodes of The Mandalorian season two, so episodes 15 and 16, Bill Burr comes back, provides one of the most grounded, as a comedian, as a comedian, provides one of the most grounded and realistic portrayals of a ground force uh, stormtrooper and soldier in the middle of the, the Republic and Empire conflict that we've seen in decades. On top of that, leading into episode 6, having a fantastic set of action set pieces of conflict, of emotional and physical trauma, of legitimizing all of the things that they have built up throughout the entirety of the season into one episode is nothing short of fantastic, phenomenal, just legitimately idolizing between these two. And of course, I'm not going to just point the majority of the praise towards John Favreau and Dave Filoni. Like, just the entirety of the cast, the entirety of the production team, and how they were able to portray the majority of the scenes that they were actually being able to set up Going through just one Star Cruiser. Like, that's it. They were able to, well, to be fair, not only just the Star Cruiser, in the cantina, in the bars that the characters were setting up in. It's just, like, let's just put it this way. You've seen cowboys walk into a saloon with guns holstered, coats turned back, hats tipped. And you know that they mean business. But the fact that they were able to portray that with two suits of armor walking into a space cantina being some of the most badass saloon-busting content that you've seen in over a decade is nuts to me. (laughs) Just w- just watching the two of them walk in to a space saloon was more than enough to get me hyped. It was insane. I guess the baseline is to just... The Mandalorian, it- it's very... I guess considering that we've had nearly two years to get over episodes 8 and 9. And to be just a little bit optimistic towards the entirety of the Star Wars and science fiction franchise in general I would definitely recommend giving The Mandalorian a shot considering that what they were able to accomplish over the course of two seasons in comparison to everything that came before everything, all the negative feedback, all of the atmosphere and and the conflict that was headed in their direction I mean, even Taika Waititi, in terms of the episodes that he directed, what him, Dave Filoni, Jon Favreau, and every other directorial and writing staff that they had on this production, and not just them, all of those that have given their time and their effort and everything that they had in the midst of a trial in a pandemic to create honestly one of the best Star Wars products that has ever graced the screen in over a decade. There is nothing more that they can give them but my utmost respect and my utmost gratitude and my hope. My hope into what they are going to be able to accomplish in the next couple of years.